Hello, and welcome to the Freedom Challenge online podcast. Here at the Freedom Challenge, we strive to do good by helping enslaved women and children to do more than you ever thought physically possible and to do it together by connecting women with a heart for a hurting world. We hope you enjoy your time being informed and encouraged with host Tracy Doherty and our amazing guests. So let's get ready and join Tracy for this week's episode. Hello, Freedom Sisters. I am really honored that you join me today for the Freedom Challenge Online, and today I have the privilege of introducing you to a very special woman who's calling in from the UK. Her name is Rosemary Hack. Rosemary has served with Operation Mobilization for many years, actually 40 to be exact. She just told me that, and I'm just getting to know her, but what I can tell you is what follows her name wherever I go in this wonderful organization and even outside is extraordinary and excellent leadership, a reputation for being a team collaborator, and very focused influence that has empowered many men and women globally. I am so honored for her to be on this podcast with us today. Welcome, Rosemary. And can you tell us? Thank you. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you became connected to OM for 40 years? Amazing. And share with us a little bit about the work that you put your hands to every day, work through AIDSLINK and Press Red. Yeah, thank you, Tracy. It's actually really great to be here. And um, I don't know whether I quite deserve all the accolades that you just showered upon me, but thank you. Well, how I got into OM, I was working as a fashion designer in Manchester in England, uh, which is my hometown, but God got hold of my life and I realized, you know, here I am spending all my time making people look nice on the outside, where actually what is inside is more important. Um, And I was struggling with this at the same time that I heard Peter Maiden from OM speak. So I joined OM for a month after hearing him speak. And it's been a long month because I'm still here. That was in 1979. (laughs) Um, Joining OM has been great. It's been fantastic. It's been really good years. It's been a privilege. Um, I got married in 1983. It's my anniversary in a couple of days. Um, I married Michael from Canada. We met in Brazil. We got married. We got engaged in India. We got married in England uh, and we've worked all over the world. And the last 26 years, we've been in South Africa. Um, During my time in South Africa, I was working with OM South Africa doing communications and doing some um, work on HIV and AIDS and did a trip around five African countries. And what I saw made me really think that we as OM, we as Christians need to be involved in the HIV and AIDS pandemic. I mean, HIV affects everybody in Africa and it affects a lot of people around the world. It's not just in Africa. Um, And as I look at missions and the history of missions, I see that the church has been involved in medical work. Believers have been involved in education and we are the people who have hope and can pass hope on. So if we're not involved, we're really, um, how do I say it? We're really missing the part of the answer to the HIV and AIDS pandemic. Um, We're missing an opportunity. We're missing a a duty and a responsibility. Yeah, so I started AIDSLINK after that. And now we're working in something like 15 nations and we try and be a bit of a catalyst um, to get other people involved. We work with OM teams. We work with other organizations outside of OM as well. 
And it's been a good journey. And leading AIDS Link has led me to think more deeply. Um, it's led me to be less judgmental. I've become passionate about tackling issues of injustice and oppression, and I also have become passionate about challenging some of the beliefs and theology that lie behind the problems of injustice. Um, I came back to the UK about a year and a half ago for family reasons. Um, but about three years ago, a friend of mine founded an organization called Press Red, which speaks out, educates and advocates around all forms of violence against women. I love what they're doing. I've tracked with them and followed them for quite a few years now. They were looking for a new director and to cut a long story short, they asked me if I would pray about it and I said no. Um, and they asked me again and I said, well, I'll pray about if I should pray about it. <laughs> but, you know, the fit seemed right. And I started the role about six months ago, just a couple of days before we went into lockdown. So I'm balancing out these things. Um, yeah, family responsibilities, AIDS link, press red. We're renovating an old house. So life is full, but it's good. It's OK. Wow. I, I just got to. I got, you know, most of our listeners are women. So I just have to say something. You are a really intriguing individual. I mean, in just this one sentence, I heard fashion designer. My my ears are perking up going, oh, what's that about? I hear you as a global citizen where you met your husband, getting married in India, living in South Africa and renovating a house. And what I love about all of these things in your story is that you know, you have been engaged in this wonder, wonderful adventure of the kingdom, and it has brought so much interest and texture to your life. I think sometimes when people think of kingdom work, they see it as, you know, not having interest and adventure and, you know, God's touch in it. And I just really appreciate you giving us a snapshot into the background of your life as well as the passion that's formed. Can I just say, I love that word texture. And also so often when I first joined OM, people would say, oh, you're giving up so much, but I have not given up anything. I've gained so much more back. And, you know, when I see those people now, they will say, well, I wish I'd done the same. Wow. Uh, yeah. Because God is good. Well, I mean, think about it. You're like repositioning, you know, you think about design work and you're you're making women look good or men and you're being creative, but it's almost as if God has allowed some of those same skill sets in you just to be redirected towards something else. And I really appreciate that. I mean, now you're actually designing, um, renovating a home too, which is pretty exciting. So, well... Let's get into the meat. I mean, I I really appreciate just the humanity that you sh that you shared with us, like how you do your life and where you've been. But I I would love to hear more about, um, you know, these organizations and what they do. And so, you know, you are known even by me, who is just getting to know you. So this is the word on the street about you, that you are an advocate and an ally for the marginalized. And you know, share with us you know, just a little deeper snapshot about AIDS Link, um, maybe some highlighted stories of women and children that have been impacted by the transformation and some of the, you know, highlights and pieces that make AIDS Link this great organization in 15 nations that it is. Well, when I think about AIDS Link, I do think about the people that have been impacted, obviously. Um, it's like God takes these rough diamonds and makes them shine. Uh, I think of people like Lata. I met Lata in India. The first time she heard of HIV was when her husband died of AIDS. 
And the village found out, um, they kicked her out of the village, they kicked her out of the community. She had two young sons. She went to live in a little shack along a main road, a lot of truck drivers area with a lot of sex work going on. Um, but the team there happened to meet Lata and they were able to help her and they were able to teach her some trade so she didn't end up selling her body. Um, they were able to work with her. She, You see Lata and you see a beautiful shining face and a smile um, because she knows her redeemer. She knows her redeemer lives and she knows he cares for her. So that snapshot of Lata was many, many years ago. Um, I think it was probably about uh, 15 years ago. But then about five years ago, I returned um, to India and um, I went to this village. And I think the person that took me had forgotten that I met Lata. And Lata was there in the village and this was her village that had kicked her out. The team had been working with the village. They'd taught them about HIV. They'd found some more people in the village were living with HIV. They now totally accepted Lata. She had a role in the village of respect. Um, she had some of these HIV positive people coming meeting with her. She would teach them about HIV. And she was now a respected person in her village. And her two kids were proud of her. And that is a story of transformation. Wow. Um, I, I think of another lady, um, a lady in Nepal. I was talking to her one day. She worked works with our AIDS-Link project there. And I, I said to her, Sita, how old were you when you got married? And she said, oh, I was about 13 years old. I thought, Wow. 13 years old, what happened? Oh, I was sent, my mum sent me on an errand to my aunt's house and I walked in and it was my wedding. Mm. And she was married to somebody who was a Nepali guy who is a migrant labourer in India, HIV positive. Um, she also contracted HIV. Um, at least one of her children has been born living with HIV. But again, she's a picture of hope. She now works with people living with HIV. She can say to them, there is hope. Mm. You know, HIV is not the end. We had um, a training in South Africa once and we had this lapsed Catholic lady come on it. And at the end of the training, she went to the person that was leading it and said, you know what I've learned through this training? I've learned that God can love somebody living with HIV because I did not believe it was possible. I thought that when I found out I was HIV positive, that was the end of my relationship with God. Mm. So, I mean, that's bringing hope into all these situations. And that's just three ladies. So, I mean, HIV moves along the fault lines of society. So we're trying to deal with the fault lines. Um, we're trying to involve people living with HIV, like um, Sita, like Lata, like this lady from South Africa, in things as much as we can. And we're trying to empower them as well, because they're the people who can make a difference. Wow, that's beautiful. Could you speak into a little bit about just stigma and HIV? You know, uh, it's not just world over, but even in, you know, your country and ours, what what is the stigma with HIV? And could you just broaden our perspective? There's so many of us don't know a lot, and that's part yeah. of what you do. Talk I a little bit about that. I am actually surprised. One of the things that surprised me in returning to the UK, uh, because everybody says, oh, there's no stigma about HIV in Europe. Uh, but when I returned, there was some court case going on um, from way back when people were given blood that was infected with HIV and they were interviewing a lot of the people who got HIV through that blood and all of them spoke about the stigma that they still live with today um, how you know they're embarrassed that they've got HIV they feel people are judging them some of it may be self-stigma which is a problem but they do get stigma from other people people make assumptions yeah and 
you know, they make judgments. I was just um, doing a little graphic thing about stigma and HIV. And, you know, if you look at the roots and the fruits, you've got, um, you have the roots of stigma, which is judgmentalism. Um, it's a bad theology. It's um, feelings of self-righteousness. It's also ignorance and fear, because ignorance leads to fear. And the fruit can be poverty, unemployment, um, highly risky behavior, um, people being made very, very vulnerable. So it's not, stigma goes beyond oh, people are judging me and looking at me, so people won't give me a job, mm. so I got fired from my job, so my kids dropped out from school. Um, and until we conquer stigma, we won't conquer HIV because mm. stigma makes things dark and it puts things in the dark, and until things come into the light, we can't tackle them. We can't tackle what's hidden. Wow. That's just a powerful statement. We can't tackle what's hidden until things come into the light. I mean, it sounds like the narrative of scripture. We're afraid of the light, but when we come into the light, it's warm, it's healing, it's enlightening. And that's yeah. what you're doing, you and your team, bringing that message and that hope all over the world. And just a few of like the practical things that AIDS Link does. I know education, helping lift stigma in the minds of the people and in their communities. Just could you name out a few of the actual practical services or things that happen with your team through AIDS Link? Yeah, I mean, most countries now you can get HIV treatment or the government will offer it, but it's not always accessible. It's available in that it's in the clinic, it's in the hospital, but the people have to get to the clinic or hospital to get it. So we work with hospitals um, to make medication accessible. So, for example, in Nepal, we've got a place near the hospital where people could come and stay when they're outpatients. Otherwise, they can't come as outpatients because they live, you know, maybe a two day journey away. Mm. Um, so that's one very practical thing. Another is support groups, groups of other people who are living with HIV, meeting together, discussing their problems, praying together, eating together, fellowshipping together, encouraging one another. Um, another thing will be sponsoring kids of parents who are living with HIV to keep the children in school. Mm. Um, because sometimes they'll actually get kicked out of school if they find that that, that child is living with HIV. Wow. And then we'll have to find another school. So we're trying to do that. Um, what else are we doing? Working with young people, youth, education, um, after school programs in South Africa. We have an after a center where the kids come after school. The social services identify the most vulnerable children. They'll all have been affected in some way by HIV, even if they themselves are not HIV positive. And they will come after school. They'll get a really good nutritious meal. Um, and then they'll get help with their homework. They'll get mentoring. They'll get discipleship. And I think that these kids are going to be the kids that go on to grow up and change that country. Rosemary, I have been to the the ministry project that you're talking about in South Africa. And I have to say that it really impacted me seeing the faces of those children, imagining the true impact it was making in the lives of, of those particular families and kids in their future. It was really beautiful. What is the name of that place? Metsi Abapello. They call it Metsi for short, and it means fountain of, of life or hope. I just can't remember. And fountain there's, of life. And there's a beautiful fountain on the property there, there is. isn't there? Yes. Yeah, there is. It's like a little um, sanctuary at the back there. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. It, it, it At the time, I don't know if they're still there, there was a new younger couple there that was so passionate, and their zeal and life for that ministry really impacted me. 
Yes. And for, John and Lucato, they're still leading it. Oh, that's great. And so for those of you who are listening who have known and been a part of Freedom Challenge, you will know that that particular ministry has been funded by some of your efforts, and it is remarkable. So thank and you. And so has the ministry in Nepal that I mentioned yes, as well. Yes, yes. Um, that's also received the Freedom uh, challenge funding. Yeah, there was a group of women about two years ago that actually did the trek um, with the Freedom Challenge. There was about six women, and and really, um, it was it was a highlight for Freedom Challenge and one of the actual missions slash challenges that we've done. And so, you know these these things are real, real people, real efforts, and. Um, and a lot of them lead back to your work and your leadership. So I'm so grateful for that. So a few months ago, we had a short communication. And it was specifically about churches and evangelical organizations and how there can be a subtle or even not so subtle us and them perspective with NGOs and other social justice movements. So would you speak into that, your concerns about it, and how you see that playing out in the places that you are leading? Right, yes. I mean, us and them is really about sinners and saints. It's about how we perceive selves and how we perceive others. So, for example, in our AIDS link training, we've got an exercise where we talk about how do we describe ourselves as the church. We're compassionate, we love people, we help people, we go the extra mile, and so on and so forth. And then we talk about what about the people outside? And it'll be, well, there's a lot of hypocrites and abusers and a lot of negative terms. Mm. But actually, you know, we have hypocrites and abusers in the church and we have people outside the church who want to really bless people and bless their community and go the extra mile. And what makes us different is our relationship with Christ. But I see the world becoming very polarized and it's like everyone feels they have to have an opinion on everything. And then we stop listening to each other. And, you know, it's okay to say I don't know. It's okay to say I might change my mind. Um, and I think in this present day, I look at things like COVID-19, which is a new virus, and experts admit they're learning as they go along. They say they don't know something, they get things wrong. But then you get people who actually know nothing about viruses coming out with authoritative opinions and slandering people and putting people down and othering people. I mean, if you just look at Facebook, and the Bible doesn't say love your friends whom you agree with. We're told to love people, even our enemies. And when you love someone, you move towards them. You don't move away from them, um, if that makes sense. So we're told to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And I think those four little words, I might be wrong, or I don't know, are very helpful. And I think there's a danger today that when people outside the church, inside the church we might other people, but I think people outside the church also may look at the church and the last thing they see is humility and a willingness to admit we may be wrong or we don't have the answers. And, you know, sometimes people accuse me of being critical of the church and maybe I am, but it's because I love the church. I believe the church is the most important institution on earth. It's the bride of Christ. Um, and sometimes, you know, we point our fingers at others but ignore the log in our own eye. So you've got domestic abuse and we often criticize other religions. But when you see that in evangelical churches, domestic abuse is about as high as it is outside, 
I mean, that's shocking. We should be better. We're the church. We're the bride of Christ. And we need to deal with what happens in our own circles before we can point at others or before we can only point at others. Of course, we speak out against all injustice wherever it takes place. But let's not be blind to our own faults and let's not kid ourselves that we are doing so great on all these things. And that leads me on to something also we talked about was needing to cooperate with others who want to make a difference, even if we don't agree on everything. Um, now, this is a tricky one, but um, I believe that for me to work with others in aligning myself against an issue which is abhorrent to God doesn't mean that I'm signing up to that organization. It doesn't mean I'm aligning myself with the philosophy of the organization. I mean, there's no perfect movement or organization, and some have very dodgy, very bad um, unchristlike ideologies that we as Christians would disagree with. But if we're taking a stance on a different issue and we're working with other organizations, we're not saying we endorse everything that that organization stands for. We're simply saying this is a tragic reality. We have to address it. And if we can help one another, that's great. And I think in doing that, we're actually being a witness. Um, obviously, we can't compromise the tenets of our faith, but I don't think that we need to do that. But justice is God's issue. It's the church's issue. And sometimes when other people get involved, we back off and say, we're not going to do anything because these people are doing it. And we don't agree with what they're doing. But justice is what the church should be known for. And we sometimes give up our mandate um, to others who actually can't bring in the hope. The church should be the most radical organization on earth in speaking out and standing against abuse, oppression, racism, injustice. We should be the ones at the forefront, not sitting back criticizing people who are out there doing something. And, you know, we may be able to learn from them. They can probably learn from us as well. And we need to foster those relationships. I'm not saying we buy into everybody's philosophy. We are to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. But we have to be involved. We have to stand up and we have to, to a certain extent, join with other people who we may disagree with some things on because there is a greater, a greater issue here, which is the reputation of God of the church. Mm. Um, if that makes sense. Sorry, I stopped. I started preaching there. I realized I shouldn't do that on a podcast. I'm so glad you preach. No, you get to preach on this podcast. We like it and we want it. A couple of things you said that I just want to highlight. Yeah. One is, and it's it's a question and a statement that just leans into what you're saying. It's this idea that we people, humans, all of us in the church, outside the church, there's this certainty that we feel we have to have. I don't know if it's a need to feel like you're right, but it's it's okay to have the tension of uncertainty held with hope. And we're really uncomfortable with that. Not, you know, it's this yeah, desire. Absolutely. And I go for it. I I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if that comes from we have this very much of an what's the word, apologetic mindset in proving the faith in mm -hmm. logic. Mm -hmm. um, and trying to convince people about Christianity, whereas maybe they need to see it demonstrated. Wow. Uh, um, yeah, that's, just a thought there. That's good. And and it's also this idea of black and white, good and bad. All of us are a mix of both. I mean, we just really Absolutely. are. Like, my day is not always all good or all bad. My heart is not always all good and all bad. It's a mix of both. And it, it really is where the gospel shines the brightest because Jesus knew he's like, I, I gotta, I have to cover this thing because, you know, 
It's a mix of both. Mm. It's, you know, the heart is deceitfully wicked, but we're also made in the image of God with a sense of dignity and significance that's bent toward his imaging who he is in the world. So I love the things that you've presented to us. They're challenging. They're good. You know, I don't know if you know this about my background, but my husband and I, church planters and, and pastoring for almost 30 years, and I share with you the great love for the church with the great sorrow that the bride has needs to, you know, I, I call it as, you know, her, her, if you know what spanks are, we wear spanks in the, in the U.S. I don't know if you got those, but they're, you know, the tight, um, they hold it all in so you can wear your dress. And sometimes I say, you know, like the bride of Christ is beautiful, but when she turns around, her her dress is caught up in her spanks and her hiney's hanging out. And we got to tell her, like, we need we need you to, like, know that you have something hanging out and we want to help. So that's my heart. It's like there's so much love for the bride of Christ, but there's just a need to say, hey, there's a blind spot in us and we need to look at it. So... Tracy, that illustration is now going to stay with me and printed on my mind indelibly forever from yeah. the church with her butt hanging out. Yes, but. I know. Like the front looks great. Look at her. Here she comes. And then she turns around and you're like, oh, no, please let me help you. Um, you know, it's not shame. It's like love. So, you know, so I often yeah. think how often have I had my um, my hiney hanging out? So um, it, it, there is no place. I agree with you. Like we're in this together and, um, let's, let's see the image of God reflected in, um, those that are, their hearts are set to the same mission and the caution that you brought us. So here's the next question, Rosemary, will you give some practical insights into how we can frame social justice within the bigger picture of biblical justice and God's heart for the vulnerable and marginalized. And I've said this before, I see social just justice in my mind often standing for rights or against, and I see biblical justice walking toward. Um, and it's it's really God's idea. Like this, you know, a lot of people are carrying this idea of social justice, which is great, but if we look at the person who came up with the intellectual property, guess what? It's the creator of the universe, which is pretty awesome. So how do we frame that within the bigger picture of biblical justice without sorting and us and theming? Right. That's a really good question. And I must say, I don't know that I separate biblical justice and social justice. I think it's all about the kingdom of God. Mm. Um, but we've been taught in our Greek thinking to dichotomize and put things in boxes. Um, but I think it's all one. I think social refers to society and justice, well, justice refers to justice. So it's about bringing justice in society. Now, we want to do that within a biblical framework mm. that reflects God's heart for the vulnerable. But I think social justice is a deeply rooted biblical concept. and. Yes. Um, I don't know if in the States you follow Christopher Wright, who's a very brilliant Old Testament scholar. And he says that ju social justice is the best translation of the words Sadak and Mishpat, which, as you know, are the yes. two words that often appear together. You know, Sadak meaning keeping things to a right standard and Mishpat setting right or wrong. And I know you've talked about this on other podcasts. Um, but added to that, um, is what you said before, the scriptures tell us that we're all created in God's image. 
and whether it's social justice, biblical justice, whether they're the same thing, um, it all leads to the concept of human rights and being in God's image. But I think we have a problem with human rights, and I think we may need to reframe the con concept of human rights because I think it's an abused term and I think it's a misused term today. And mm. maybe social justice um, has come in for some abuse and misuse of the term as well. Um, but, I mean, modern-day human rights have undergone different turns along the way. But I think one of the main problems we have with human rights today is that we apply them in an individualistic, personal way. It's about my rights. It's about my group's rights. Mm. And that can lead to a society that's ungovernable because our rights can clash. I mean, if you take a very, very simple example, we're in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic and we're told we need to wear masks. In the UK, you have to wear masks when you go into the shop. And some people will say, well, that's I have a human right not to wear a mask. And other people will say, well, I have a human right not to breathe in your germs. So you've got <laughs> a clash of human rights. But if we look at human rights in the context of others' rights and defending the rights of others, um, and framing human rights within the common good, um, then they amount to more than self-interested claims. I think right now human rights um, amount to self-interested claims. Um, and to quote a guy called McElroy that I was reading, he talks about human rights being highly relational. And he said, they are not the answer to what, e what each of us ought to get, but more to the question of how each of us should be treated. So rights are defined in relation to other people, not in a vacuum. And he goes on to say that responsibilities come before rights. What most of us need to learn better in order to contribute usefully to society, to our communities, to our families, in our places of work, is our responsibilities. So what he's saying is if we take care of our responsibilities and we look out for the rights of others, we will have a peaceful, governable society. I mean, as Christians, we can deny our rights, but we can't deny others their rights. So if you apply the same illustration about the masks, um, I may have a right to go into a shop without a mask, um, but I have a responsibility to put it on because I'm looking out for the rights of others not to have my germs breathed on them, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It really does. Yeah. Um, and I think something else I just read when I was preparing for this podcast, I was looking at something that Glenn Stassen had written, and he talks about the prophetic ministry of Jesus. And that Jesus had a fourfold concept of justice based on the Old Testament prophets. And he talks about Jesus' mission, uh, prophetic ministry. He talks about being nonviolent. And 21 times Jesus confronts the authorities for the injustice of violence. He confront, Second is he confronts the wealthy. And that's 18 passages where Jesus confronts uh, the wealthy, the religious, political powers and authorities for cheating the poor and taking for themselves. And then three, Jesus confronts those who dominate others. And that's 19 passages. And then the last one was Jesus, including the outcasts, which is numerous examples of. And it's kind of, if you look at those four, if you imagine a society which doesn't have violence, where people who govern do it for the good of all the people, where do, people don't take advantage of one another, where everyone is included. I mean, that sounds like a great society. Um, it's taking care of the systems of injustice. It's yes. um, bringing shalom into mm. a community. And the book When Helping Hurts talks about Shaloma's right relationships, which goes back to the human rights. Um, right relationship with God, right relationships with ourselves, 
right relationship with others and right relationship with our environment. So I, I just I think social justice, biblical justice, human rights, being created in the image of God are all a part of this picture that we want to find a society which reflects shalom. So um, good. So good. And all of those references that you mentioned, if you're listening in and you want to know where to find those, we're going to put them in the show notes. I love When Helping Hurts. What a great book. Yeah. And what I hear you saying, and just kind of by way of just provoking, encouraging, exhorting, all of those things, is that it is okay for Christ followers to have all of those pieces framed in the bigger piece, biblical justice. They are all a part of the whole and can fit within one another. We don't have to sort them out. And it's a great encouragement. A lot of good stuff to think about. So here's the last question, Rosemary. You are clearly a woman with a global perspective. I mean, you have been, how many countries do you think you've been in? Uh, Over a hundred. So ladies and any gentleman listening, there is a um, very broad global perspective that we can listen to and learn from. So based on your experience and expertise, what is something you would want to leave with our listeners? You know, as we talk about these things, the one thing I realize is that I'm a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites. I can talk about not polarizing, not having to be right on everything. But, you know, I want to be right on everything. I say the wrong thing. I put my foot in it. (laughs) I make mistakes. I need to live in repentance. And I think that is the one thing I would leave with people is nobody's going to get it all right. And nobody's going to do everything. We have all these high ideals. We're not going to manage to live up to them. Um, we're going to let ourselves down. Um, Maybe a more positive way is to say that we're all learners on a journey and we all make mistakes. But I think that is the one thing that I would leave with people. Mm. We are all learners on a journey and we all make mistakes. And isn't that the beauty of the gospel? Jesus came for humans that he loves to cover all of that nonsense and failure and it's the beauty right it's not I sometimes think Rosemary how interesting it is that people come to Christ because their lives are really messed up and they know it and they're looking for hope and then when we come into Christ all of a sudden we put on this mask that we have to have it all perfectly known and come looking like we have it together what happens between that first step and that last step that keeps us away from remembering just the beauty and the hope of the cross and the gospel. That's interesting. I think we, yeah, we get religious, don't we? We get and religious. And it gets to be about rules and image and not about relationship. I think relationship, that's the key thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is the key thing. And I want to tell you, I'm glad to have this time to get to know you more. And I know that every person who listened is, we've got a lot to think about. A lot of good challenges. I love that you just took it and preached. It's good. We need to hear it. I know that you ache for your country as you reintegrate back into um, where you live. I know that our heart aches for our country as we see just so much tension worldwide. And how much more do we need these kinds of messages to keep us grounded and anchored and really like not offended by the wrong things? You know, um, we we just get so offended and caught up in the wrong battles and the wrong pieces. 
And I think yeah. there's a lot of guides here that will help us as we continue moving through this very tense season in the world. Thank you so much, Rosemary. I appreciate you, you being with us. You are a delight. And ladies, I want to encourage you to check out the show notes. Continue going deeper in your study and um, broadening your perspective through the resources that will be in those notes. And for now, thank you for listening. And let's continue to do good, as we talked about, biblical justice, helping enslaved women and children do more than you ever thought physically possible and doing it together, connecting women with a heart for a hurting world. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Freedom Challenge online podcast. If you liked what you heard, join the fight to set women and children on a pathway to freedom across the globe. We are a proud ministry of Operation Mobilization USA and encourage you to learn more at thefreedomchallenge.com and omusa.org for how you can get involved. Follow us on Facebook, on Instagram at the FCUSA, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to let us know what you think. We'll see you next time.